When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats, like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Welcome to episode 208 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and today's sponsor, Deal Dash. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, Barca Blog, and many others. Frances, we had a week off without worrying about a match and worrying about the pandemic canceling matches. How was your time off? Hola, Gules. Um, I've been crying. I've been crying the whole way because, um, you know, no Barca, no fun. Uh, but fortunately, games are coming back. We've got the biggest trophy of the season. Very arguably that, but there you go. Champions League, uh, it's an unusual timing to have it. It's, you know, August has already started. Um, players are normally in Ibiza or on holiday and, you know, not coming back for another month. But actually, we're back. And um, it seems to be with a bang. Francis, did you say biggest or most important trophy? I think the other term we use for this year, Champions League, would be the only trophy that Barca can collect. Of course, the others don't matter because we haven't won them. So, you know, we're not, we're not going to dwell on that. It's time to be positive. It's time to be hyped. It's time to, you know, analyze and, and be realistic with what's going on. But we need to look forward. There's no, look, there's no time to look back and be miserable. Um, we've got a very important title. We are four matches away from winning it, which is not that many matches. And uh, we just need to, you know, hit, hit the streak hot and continue to the end and hopefully leave the Big Year trophy in less than a month. Well, about that whole Napoli preview, we're going to get to that in a second. But as far as being positive, I'm positive that this is going to be a debate that we're going to start the show with that is going to be pretty negative, And that is basically trying to figure out who is right and wrong in this whole, I want to say the club versus Arthur, but really what it seems to in the media and the press being boiled down to, particularly with Bartomeu's interview in sport, Bartomeu versus Arthur. And there's a bit of consternation here. I think anybody listening to this pod knows what's happened. Arthur 
when all the players went out on holiday, we saw all those nice pictures of Messi and Suarez with their families, and Frankie de Jong was playing in that playing some kind of water polo in that that cave somewhere. And basically, we're reminded that the players have a lot more money than we do in all those pictures for their vacations. <laughs> but unfortunately for us, unfortunately for all of us. But Artur, there were no photos to go with what he was doing on vacation because whatever he's doing in Brazil on vacation is an extended vacation and he doesn't plan on coming back for the Champions League as the agreement was with his contract, with the deal with Pjanic, as opposed to Pjanic, who is playing for Juventus and is looking to be playing with Juventus in the Champions League and is still a vital, important part of their squad. And while Arthur has not played since, he got his goodbye at the Camp No. Well, not in front of any fans, but he got his goodbye in the Liga and then he hasn't played since. It is puzzling. But it looks like, Frances, that the fan base itself is quite divided as to whether or not Arthur was even going to factor in if he had come back or whether or not Arthur should probably just be condemned for breaking a rule and, and not doing his part of his contract. Yeah, um, I do see the two parts of the argument. I've seen a lot of people online arguing that, you know, he's been mistreated by Bartomeu and the board and um, he's been shifted out. Um, he's been shipped to Italy and he didn't want to go. His dream was to, you know, his Barca through and through from birth. You know, he was having conflicts when he was little with a Barca ball and all of that nonsense. And, uh, you know, his dream was to always succeed at the Camp Nou. And Bartomeu has pushed him out. This evil monster Bartomeu has pushed him out. I want to talk about bad timing. That Barca beat, I mean... Want to talk about bad timing? That Barca TV whole documentary that recently came out about Arthur and his dream at Barca, just unfortunate timing for everyone involved, but carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched that as well. I subscribed to Barca TV Plus, which, by the way, has got a lot of great content. Um, we don't sponsor them at all, but, you know, there you go. Some information for free. Well, they can sponsor um, us. So, yeah, that, that can. We'll put that out there. Put that out into the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you know, someone is listening and they can they can sponsor the show. You know, we, we do talk about Barca, so, so do that. Um, no, so, you know, his, his dream was to succeed at the camp. No, he's Barca through and through. And uh, unfortunately, this evil big bad wolf has sent him to Italy. Um, a lot of people saying, you know, what would you do? You know, I understand the player. He's just, he's so hard done by, he's got no choice but to stay in Brazil. Um, so that's one part of the argument. My part of the argument is as disappointed as he would be to not having succeeded at Barca, he's been given plenty of chances, many more chances like someone like Alanya, for example, ever got. And he was, um, you know, sent off on loan to Betis um, at Christmas time, winter time. And, um, you know, he had an offer that tripled, tripled as in three times, multiplied by three. So his salary at Barca times three, tripled in Italy. And uh, Barca didn't want to match it. Um, and he decided with, you know, there must have been a push from Setien, there must have been a push from the board, but he himself, as an adult, decided to go and play in Italy next season. When he decided that, he agreed that he was going to help Barca until the very last game of the season, whether that be in the league or the Champions League, um, which obviously is the case is the case now. The same thing, the exact same situation that Pjanic in Juventus has had, and, you know, he's fulfilling his contract. Now, Arthur is not fulfilling his contract. He has not come back from Brazil. He has disrespected the club, the fans, all of us, all of these people that are defending him and justifying his reasons. He's disrespected all of us, especially at a time of need, which shouldn't matter because it's in his contract, the contract he signed. So he's an employee of the club that the club requires now. We've got a lot of injuries, especially in midfield, and, and, and especially with the Napoli game, which we'll preview a little bit later. There's um, several key absences in midfield, and we need him back. And he's just saying, nope, I'm not coming back. I am not fulfilling my contract, and uh, you can do whatever you want about it. I don't care. And to be honest, bluntly, and I know I'm going to be very unpopular to say this, which you know happens very often, I think that anyone defending a player of their club who disrespects their club um, doesn't have the interests of, of Barca at heart. Yeah, those are pretty strong words. I, I think that it's a little more nuanced than that. I, I don't think I outwardly disagree with you because, you know, the more I try to think my way back is that two wrongs don't make a right here. And as I said, when the Archer deal went through, we don't, there's so much we don't know 
I think for me to even say and have like some great grand opinion about who's completely in the right about this situation, because we don't know with what persistence the, and I know Arthur is making more money in, in Italy, but we don't know with what persistence the club and the board and Bartomeu himself pushed the player out of the club for financial reasons. I think in that interview that Bartomeu gave in sport, the one thing, everything he said in relation to Arthur's contract and the way that that deal went down and the way that the player is representing himself poorly and that it is a lack of discipline from the player and he's not fulfilling his contract because at the end of the day, this is a business and he's not fulfilling his contract. Uh, regardless of whether or not he's going to even be used or would be used in the Champions League, the idea that he could be used is what his contract says. And so he's not fulfilling that. And Bartomeu is right there. However, Bartomeu did say that this deal, when he was asked, was not to balance the books. And so the only thing that uh, this is not a push against a club, but it, it says to me that I think this deal and the ability to manage players and to have good relationships with players, even those departing, is kind of lost in this situation. And I know we're just talking about feelings here, but it seems to me that this deal was a financial decision. And, and I think it's obviously Bartomeu is never going to admit that he got rid of uh, a young midfielder of Arthur's caliber to balance the books. I, and I know they're going to praise Pjanic and say that this was a player we wanted all along. We didn't really, Arthur was surplus, but Pjanic was the one we really, really wanted here. But we know, we all know for both Juventus and Barcelona, you can go back and listen. We explained it. The deal was done for the books to balance the books and so that they could afford other players, potentially at least one this summer. Uh, and so it does look kind of bad from the club's perspective that this deal was made not in good faith to a player, but just for financial reasons. And then you are almost puzzled why the player is upset. So the, the reasons for him being upset are valid. But at the end of the day, I think where I do agree with you is that professionalism is the whole part of this, where we've all been in companies or situations where we felt like we've been hard done by. But those who are just able to say, okay, but this is what my part of this agreement, my part of this bargain is to do my job and just see this out to the end. And for Arthur, that's what he should have done. And let's say Barca find a way to win the Champions League and Arthur's not involved. I mean, he's going to have a lot of egg on his face. I do understand that the players are professionals. Um, and I do understand that Arthur is probably not the first player in the world to use in American terms has been traded because really this was a trade with a bit of money involved in it. Um, but he was the one that agreed to leave. I mean, how many times over the last, I want to say nearly three years, has Barca tried to ship Rakitic out? He's still in the team. He's refused to go. And, you know, in, in, in football, in soccer, like the Americans say, players have got a lot of power. And if they don't want to be shipped out, they don't want to be traded, they're just not. So Rakitic is in Barcelona. Umtiti, they've tried to get rid of him for the last two windows for sure. And certainly now there's been a lot of rumors, but he's saying that he's super happy at Barca, um, the same way that Gareth Bale is incredibly happy in Madrid, just, you know, sitting down, getting his um, training a little bit and picking up injuries, etc. So Semedo, I'm sure, has been pushed out by the club, but he refused and he said no. And um, if you look at it from an NBA perspective, Paul Gasol, Chris Paul, Ricky Rubio, they've all been traded. And especially Gasol when he was in the Lakers, they were winning championships and they were trying to, to ship him out. He had no say. So my point is that Professional players are professionals and the teams should have the power to decide what they do with their assets. And in this situation to, you know, I understand this feelings evolve. I understand that Arthur wanted to play greatly at Barca, but he hasn't done that. He's been he's been here, what, nearly three years. He has never really started um, on a consistent basis. He has never really added anything spectacular. I'm not even going to mention Xavi in the same breath because I think that, you know, that, that ship has to sail because there's no comparison apart from the fact that they both have two legs. And to be honest, he just needs to move on. He just needs to move on. But at the same time, he's got a contract that he needs to fulfill. And I think the club has the footing to stand on here where you can ask the rhetorical question, was Arter really even going to play in the Champions League? I know that Barca are short on options, but... If we saw that Setien didn't really need him there at the end of La Liga, when they were still fighting for La Liga, then he probably wasn't going to play. But yeah, I mean, just the fact that he could have been there is the whole point. And I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy you agree. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that don't. But to, you know, 
the last one to get in on the on the Barca boat, Braithwaite. You know, he came over the winter. Um, he's not going to play in the Champions League. He's not legible, basically. And he's probably going to be sold on to someone, quite probably in the Premiership, maybe West Ham, maybe Everton. But he's training every day. He's been the professional that he needs to be. And he will go, like we say in Spanish, por la puerta grande. You know, he will leave the club if he is to leave and he's going to be transferred, which probably he will be. He's going to leave with his, with his head held high and leave in the right way. And that's what Arthur should have done. Yeah, and we're going to talk about another player that is, I think, a bigger question mark. Obviously, Arthur, that chapter is ended, but there's a, another player who's a bigger question mark for the Champions League, and we're going to talk about that after these ads. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, features, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they have to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up, on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code TBPOD or DealDash.FM backslash TBPOD. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash T-B-P-O-D. Support for the Barcelona Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. And that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. And I did have it. I don't want to make everybody too uncomfortable here for the Barcelona podcast, but it's a hot summer and we got through it. That's what I'll go with. That's what I'll say. It's water-resistant technology. There's an LED light that helps out with all those tricky things. And they also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. So there's also a charging stand and a convenient charging dock powered by USB. So there's so many different things here. I want you to experience all those things for yourself and get everything trimmed. Again, it's a hot summer, so we're all dealing with it and figure things out with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. So you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TBPOD at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code TBPOD. All right. Well, we appreciate everyone bearing with us through all those ads. It's a big, heavy ad week, but that's because it is Champions League week. The lights are on. Things are glitzy. Things are ritzy. And so we are talking some Champions League football. And before we get to our lineup, before whether we even discuss whether the match we played in Spain at all, we're going to talk Ricky Pouge, Messi, and then I'm going to do one of those things at the end where I go, hey, Frances, want to hear about Napoli? And then I go, blah, 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 blah. And everyone figures out what's happening with the other team. But be- Don't do that again. You do that every week. And that's why you I wait to the very end. Sleep. But I think, but I, I and I, we're going to argue about why that's important because of sometimes it's, it's sometimes it's good to know who you're facing instead of just saying, well, this is what we're going to do, irrespective of who the opponent is. So first and foremost, though, speaking of what we're going to do, Andre asks, are we overlooking the return of Dembélé for this short Champions League run? Yes, 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 we are overlooking it because um, I don't think he's going to play against Napoli. For a start, um, he has been training for with the team. He has been obviously training for his return since he got injured, basically, which is good. Um, there hasn't been anything leaked out, and you know, from my sources in Barcelona, nothing really around the city either that Dembélé is doing something he shouldn't, uh, which is the right way to go. I think um, he's put his head down. He's been consistent. He's been, as we say in Spanish, quemando etapas. So he's burning every stage of his um, recovery. 
and he joined the club for training, the first team for training. I think it was three days ago now, um, the same day that Griezmann did it as well, by the way, which is which is also good news. So, yeah, I think, as usual, with Dembélé, you need to be very wary. Um, I think, and I've been saying this for, well, for three years, really, um, he's a fantastic player when he's fully fit. I think he adds a new dimension to the Barca attack that, right now, not many others, if basically nobody else has, which is his pace. Um, you can argue Ansu Fati may get there sometimes, but in terms of pace, I think Dembélé is faster. Um, he is less predictable. Um, he, you basically, I don't think he even knows what he's going to do himself um, with the ball half the time, which is always always going to be a plus, especially with a team like Barca that lately, especially, um, you know, the, the, our opponents have been able to read. So I'm looking forward to Dembélé coming back. Um, I just don't think that unless things turn really, really ugly in the last 20, 25 minutes against Napoli, I don't think he will play against them. I do expect Barca to go through, says he. So hopefully Dembele can come back in the next round. Yeah, I actually disagree about overlooking the return of Dembele because looking at his season this year, just nine appearances for the player. He had the one goal against Sevilla. And interestingly enough, half of those appearances this year came when Messi was still out injured to start the year. And so five of his nine showings this year even came on the right wing with the other ones coming on the left wing. So that shows that he was even not out of position, but he was playing on the right wing where obviously Messi will be occupying for 90 minutes throughout this Champions League run. His last match, to remind people, was November the 27th against Dortmund. And honestly, problematically, I agree. The things that you're saying fundamentally about the player are true that his ability to unbalance a match is something that that's why they say he is such an X factor because he does take a match and he can turn it on his head with his speed, his ability to dribble and his ability to to shoot and be an option in that way. But honestly, I don't think after this long layoff that he could do the job you'd need him to do even against Napoli for this time. I think we look at his, the time it took him to get back and all those setbacks. And we know that whenever he's been rushed back, which he has been multiple times, when he's not physically able to start, bad things happen. And even at this moment, I don't think he's obviously, you would not even against Napoli, but even against whoever your next opponent would be, I don't think he would be physically able to start. I mean, past Napoli, the opponents are only going to get harder and those wingers and other outside backs are going to only get better. I think there's a bit of imbalance for him on the left wing at this moment because especially with him not fully fit, he's going to give you average defensive contributions. And you're going to add that with Suarez and Messi and their defensive contributions in the in the hot days of August after this at this this weird season. So I, I think that would completely unbalance the team up front and make Barcelona susceptible to counterattacks in insane ways. So Griezmann and Fati, I think at this moment, as much as Dembele is a spark plug, those two certainly give you more starting. And so the real question I would ask is that then what real role is Dembele going to be playing in the Champions League? I mean, the answer would be what you said, is that he's going to come in as a super sub in a game where the situation is that Barca are desperate and trailing. That would be the situation. And what if Setien waits on his subs like he has recently? You think after not playing for eight months that Dembele is going to be able to find a game entering in the 75th minute? Yeah, right. That's that's not going to happen. And so as much as I agree that Dembele on paper is a player that could be this X factor, that could do these things, nothing in his history of Barcelona, as negative as it is, nothing in his history tells us that he's going to be able, and this isn't even against him, any player to be asked and tasked to just come onto the field after eight months and use their speed and use their physical tools to unbalance a match is a lot to ask of any player. And so the one thing I ask of Kool-Aid and the one thing I ask of our listeners is that if Dembele can't go and is not an important part of our Champions League run, that's once again not his fault and not a reflection of his character. And all I'm going to say is that I would again ask people to listen to the interview I did with Kevin Williams now a few weeks ago, more than a month ago, about how we talk about black athletes. And I saw different news stories this week where the more reliable sources were saying he's pretty much in full training and things are going well. And then I also saw some contradictory, less reliable sources saying that he is goofing off again and that he has another setback and that it's related to his character. And so how we talk about black athletes, I think, is another... This is just one of those other times when I say, hopefully Dembele can have some kind of impact, but I would not hold my breath on it. But no matter what impact he has, that's not the fault of the player. He wants to play and he wants to come back. So how about we just 
leave Dembele alone and worry about what's in front of us. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do agree with most of what you've said. I do disagree. I do think that he can make an impact, even if he's not 100%. Dembele's speed is <laughs> 7 million times faster than Rakitic, for example, or anyone, you know, Suarez, <laughs> which we, I'm sure we'll talk in a minute as well. Um, so I think he can come in and, and make a change. And as for the, um, the rumors about him having a setback, that may or may not have happened. We don't know. Uh, Barca are training behind closed doors a, t- a lot these days, and, and understandably so. But you know, someone who's been out for so many months is natural that they've got you know a step of three steps forward, two steps back sort of thing. So I don't doubt. I don't know if it's true, but I don't doubt that he may have had a minor setback. But that is part of the process of um, of getting back to 100% fitness. And I do agree that if he's not close to his peak, there's no point in risking his health. Definitely not. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dembele in 2020-2021, I know that Champions League is all that matters right now, but I would much rather have a Dembele for all of next season when I think Barcelona will be, I mean, this is our great hope, that they will be a little bit reinvigorated. The squad on paper should be deeper. See, and now now we're just starting to dream and sound like this is fantasy. See, so, uh, fantasy. So let's get back to reality here. And the unfortunate reality is that COVID-19 and a global pandemic still exists. And so one of the big questions from this match is, should it really be being played at the Camp Nou at all? Should it really be being played in Spain? And this comes from the fact that Napoli, both Cattuso and the club, are pushing for it not to happen at the Camp Nou because of increased cases of COVID-19 in Spain. And one of the arguments I'm hearing is that it was actually more dangerous for the first leg in Italy at the time. That's one of, like we'll say, the defenses for why it should be played in, in Spain. But I don't like that argument because, as I said earlier about the Bartomeu Artu situation, two wrongs don't make a right. But that said, having these games at all is a risk. It's a risk. We, we know what that is. And it's cynical, but football returned because of money. And as someone who works in sports and makes my living in sports, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't incredibly conflicted about this. But if the Camp Nou is deemed safe enough to by local health experts, and just like all professional sports, if local health experts in those areas say the game can happen, and the game can happen here in Spain at the Camp Nou behind closed doors with no fans as expected, then I think that's the end of the conversation, right? That we have to trust the public health officials in the way that all sports have had to do. And if you want to bring up the moral dilemma of having sports at all, well, then we can have that conversation. But with the increased cases of COVID in Spain, it is certainly a risk and has been a risk. But at this point, the way that they've been operating throughout Europe is that you listen to your public health officials and you do things as safely as you possibly can. So if they get the green light, then they get the green light and Napoli just going to yep. have to deal with that. Yep, I agree 100%. Um, I'm no doctor and I'm not going to pretend to be one. Uh, there's a lot of people actually in the last four or five months that seem to have had a doctorate in, in health from the university of knoweverything.com. So <laughs> no, I'm no doctor. Um, I don't know. Um, if, if FIFA agree and UEFA agree that the game has to be played at the Camp Nou, then so be it. Um, from a sporting perspective, which is what I can talk about, from a sporting perspective, I think it would be unfair if Barca had to play in Italy and Napoli had the home advantage because of the situation that it was, and then coming back not even being able to play in the home stadium, I think I don't think it would be fair. Um, whether it's inevitable or not, that's not up to me to decide. That's up to the experts, the real experts, not the internet experts. And I've got nothing else to say. If UEFA decide we play the Camp Nou, we play the Camp Nou, and that's that. Yeah, I think that we can leave that, move on to probably the biggest topic here. And the question that we keep getting from everybody is, how should Barcelona line up against Napoli? And as interesting a question as that may be, as I'm trying to go through this, when we have mentioned a lot of names here already, that Dembele probably won't be featuring against Napoli. But Antoine Griezmann, if all reports are correct, is that he will be back and seems to be at full fitness and ready to start. However, at the back, things are a little less... Well, they're pretty bleak back there. There are just two center backs. Luckily, it's the first-choice center backs, Lenglet and Piquet, who are the two healthy center backs. And it's crazy. This is this is nuts. There's no Umtiti, which, again, wasn't only going to play if, in case of emergency. There's no Araujo, who was only going to play in emergency uh, or come on late to, to service a lead. This is where it gets absurd, though. With those two both out, the third choice is going to be Jorge Cuenca, the one of the Barca B center backs, but he also got injured this week in training. So that means that Oscar Mangueza, who last week I said on this show belonged in the third division and was a bench player for Barca B this season as their third center back, he is technically on paper going to be the third center back for Barca B. But I think in that case, 
it's Sergio Roberto there instead, or it's Junior Firpo as the uh, left center back way before you get Mingueza. So for any Mingueza stands out there, I, I have you know pretty bad news on that. I would say, oh, you could have put Busquets or Vidal back there because they both could do a job back there. But oh, wait, <laughs> because no Busquets, no Vidal. And this is where things start to get ugly as well. Brothwaite is not registered. Remember for Champions League, it would be Dembele instead. But so no Brothwaite. And if Dembele still cannot go, then that's another player missing. So I mean, Frances, there really is, when you look on paper at this team, you have 12, 12 options, right? You, there are 12 players mm-hmm. who you can put in the starting lineup here. I think it comes down to a foursome of Puj, Rakitic, Fatih, and Griezmann. And which of those four, because not all four you expect to start, and so which of those four do you go with, and what lineup do you go with? And I, I, I think, do you want to give yours first and I'll give you what sport said it's going to be and then we'll try to figure it out from there. Okay, all right, let's do that. Setien has shown us that he's not sure. Um, obviously, we, which is a really big shame, this. There was a um, Barca against Barca game in training just yesterday that I would have paid millions. Well, I don't have millions, but um, I would have given my right arm. I've got two arms so I can do that. Um, to actually watch um, the game that, that happened, but obviously... We couldn't because it was behind closed doors. Um, and so it could possibly be. I don't think it's going to be a 4-3-3, um, especially Griezmann coming back from injury and Dembele, as we've already spoken about, not being fully fit. But it, it could be a 4-3-3. I don't think it's going to be. Um, it could be a 4-4-2 with a, a rhombus in the middle or a 4-1-2-1-2, as we've, we've called it in the show before. Or it could even be a 3-5-2. Um, there's all the different options there. I would personally go for a 4-4-2 and then see what happens in the second half and then play around with the with the dibujo, with the formation. So in my starting 11, we've got Ter Stegen on goal. Um, you know, big surprise there. Neto still hasn't featured and obviously justified his, you know, his transfer fee, but that's a, let's park that for another story. We've got Alba and Sergio Roberto in the wings for me. Then Lenglet and Piquet in the middle as centre-backs. Um, obviously no choice, as you described. Then defensive midfielder for me, Rakitic. I will have two interiores. That will be Ricky on the left, interestingly. And normally he, he has been playing there, but when the young has been available, he's been shifted to that side. So I'm, I'm, I'm switching this. Ricky on the left as an interior. The young on the other side, on the right. Messi in front of them, completing the, the rhombus. And then I will put Ansu Fati up front with uh, Luis Suarez, who I think that, you know, the two and a half weeks of rest should have helped him. I mean, he's seen, he seemed fairly happy in Ibiza on top of that yacht. So hopefully that's helped his mental and physical health. I don't know how it would have been, but there you go. And uh, that would be my starting eleven. I think that the freshness that Ricky and Ansu brought to the end of La Liga, even though we didn't win the title, that was certainly not their fault. In fact, they were probably the best news in the last two months that we've had. So I think they should both get the start. Um, I would put Sergio Roberto ahead of Semedo. Playing at the Camp no, I think he can give us more width and also more know-how moving forward. And the rest of them, as you mentioned, there's not many choices. Um, the 3-5-2 formation would also be good, but um, I'm going to go for the 4-4-2 with Ricky Ananzu starting. Against Napoli the first time, there was no score, as we, we remember. And Firpo and Umtiti started that match out of necessity. So it was Messi and Griezmann up top, and then it was a defensive 4-4-2 with Vidal, Rakitic, Busquets, De Jong in the midfield. And I think that is telling as to what Setien knows Barca weakness could be against Napoli, and that is that he very much respects the speed that I'll be talking about that Napoli has in their attack. And so I do expect things to be a bit defensive. And there was a report from Sport that they were going to go with a 3-5-2 with Ter Stegen obviously in goal, and then Lengle, PK, and Nelson Semedo at the back. And then Alba, Puj, De Jong, Rakitic, Roberto across the midfield, and Suarez and Messi up top, while well, Roberto and Alba being the wingbacks. And then other reports say that it's going to be a 4-3-3 with Alba, Lengle, Piquet, and Semedo, Messi, Suarez, Griezmann up top, and then Rakitic, De Jong, Roberto in the midfield with Puj on the bench. For me, I think the starting lineup to combat the speed of Napoli, I think you're right to say that a 3-5-2 or a, if you're going to play a 4-4-2, it's going to be that rhombus is much more likely than a 4-3-3. But I, I think for me, Alba Lengle, PK Semedo makes sense at the back. And I know you said Roberto, but 
I don't see how Nelson Semedo doesn't start this match under everything we've seen from Setien, that he would rather start Roberto in the midfield and Semedo at right back. And if Semedo has issues to make that swap at halftime or make that swap in sometime in the second half, take Semedo off and move Roberto back to the right back position to change things up, I think that is much more likely than him deciding between Roberto and Semedo, which Setien has not really been doing for a few weeks now. In midfield, I would put Puj de Young Roberto, but again, defensively, I could see Puj starting this one on the bench and it actually being de Young Roberto Rakitic, which would mean Fatih, Suarez, and Messi are up top. But honestly, whether it's deciding between Fatih or Puj, once again, I think that it's quite possible that it'll be Suarez and Messi up top with Rakitic, Puj, de Young, and Roberto all starting as a four in the midfield. I think that's more likely than a 4-3-3 with Fatih up top. So, so, Dan, you wouldn't start Ricky Puig against Napoli? No, I'm saying I would. I'm saying, for me, I think the formation right. that makes the most sense is a defensive 4-4-2 with Rakitic, Puj, de Young, Roberto in the midfield, and then Suarez and Messi up top instead of Fati. because mm-hmm. I just think a 4-3-3 with the roster that Barca has and the speed that Napoli has to get out on the counterattack, it's just not practical. It just doesn't make sense. And as crazy as it sounds, once again, this is not me talking. I would love to say beautiful football, but... Champions League is a is a knockout business, and Barca have the away goal. And I'm not saying they had to hold; they have to hold on for a zero zero at the camp. No, but if Barca get a goal in that match, and let's say they get two goals in the match, then you got to hold on for dear life. And I think that's what this team under <laughs> Ernesto Valverde had them cut their teeth and figure out how to hold on to those leads. And in the Champions League, I know they have a, a psychological ability to wilt, and they've done that before. And I know that's what people are going to bring up, but. I think they had a lot of time to mentally prepare for Napoli. They've gone on their vacations, and they should be in a good spot. And we've talked about it before. This is a team that psychologically wilts against Napoli after all of what they've been through and after all of these vacations and this long pandemic. Yeah, we've talked about the exodus before, but that would be quite a negative look for so many, so many of these players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, obviously different opinions here, but obviously at heart, I think we agree that Barca need to go and challenge for the game from the beginning. Um, this is obviously we got a one-one at Napoli, so the you know a goalless draw sees us through. But you know Barca can play with fire. You know <laughs> it's not not necessarily a last season thing. I think we've never been able to play with fire. If you play to achieve a goalless draw, you probably lose at the Camp Nou uh, or allow a, a goal somehow. So we need to we're Barca. We go to win and then then see what what everything takes us. I think the most important. Factor here is whether the players are fit enough. I want to say more importantly, mentally than physically. Um, I, I trust that they are more refreshed after the little break that we had after La Liga. Um, I do think the disappointment of losing La Liga could actually help us because the players have got definitely a point to prove. Uh, Messi seems recharged. Let's just see our players on the pitch defending our colors and hopefully making us all proud. As much as you know me and I'll have a tactical breakdown after the match and all that stuff, and even on YouTube, I'm going to have... A Barca-only preview. I'm going to have a Napoli-only preview. So there's a lot of content coming out trying to break this down and hypothesize what's going to happen. But unfortunately for all the, the nerds and the stat heads out there, this match, as you say, is going to come down to fight and desire and passion. And that's something that Barca have been lacking in the Champions League. You know, as much as Messi at that Gampere Trophy has now for multiple seasons said that we hope we can play better, we hope to bring the Champions League, that is our focus. Well, Barca lost the Liga, and they lost the Copa del Rey, and those trophies evaded them, and it's been a rough season, and they've wanted to play better, and we've said that Messi is hungry, and you and I made the claim that when the restart began, that we said Messi looks healthier and revitalized and ready to go and ready to win, and then by the end of the Liga, after they'd gotten second, we went, well, I mean, things are looking slow again, and things are tough, and yes, I know they dominated Deportivo Alaves when the season was over for both those teams, but if Barca can try to take some of that energy, and if all of this propaganda around the club that oh, we're so hungry for Champions League, we're going to right the wrongs of the past, if all that is true, that the players truly have that desire, then Barca unequivocally will be moving on from this tie. I couldn't agree more. And I do think that obviously Messi, when he started after the lockdown, he had a lot of energy and he was tirando del carro, you know, he was pushing things forward. Um, I hope that something similar can happen now. And as I said already, it's a four-games push. We're four games away from winning the Champions League. We can certainly do this. I mean, would I rather have um, Klopp or Guardiola or Luis Enrique 
pushing the team forward at this moment in time rather than Setien? Of course, of course. Um, I would rather have someone from the bench that can take decisions and uh, can stamp their authority and not just that, but also motivate the troops to gather behind them and, and making things happen. Um, am I fully convinced Setien can actually do that with Eder Sarabia as the second manager? No, I'm not. I'm going to be honest, I'm really not sure that he's the right man to lead us right now, but he's the man we have. Um, he's known the players for longer than any manager we could have gotten before the Champions League. So we need to trust that Messi and the rest of the squad are behind Setien and whatever formation, whatever decision, whatever mechanisms, whatever even substitutions, which is what I'm pretty wary about, uh, whether they're going to be on time or as we've seen in the last month, really too late. But, you know, let's, let's give him the, the, the benefit of the doubt for everyone's positive message and, and positive push through. And let's just see if we can get through. Uh, I am optimistic. I do think that if we cannot knock Napoli, who have been far, far, far away from winning the Serie A this season, then we don't deserve to win the Champions League. So let's do this. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, I, you know, I'll, I'll break down a little bit of Napoli at this present moment. But no matter what I say about Napoli, I think what does persist here is that Barca are the better team with the better players and they have to show up and act like it. And I've said that a lot, but things can get more complicated down the road, whether we're talking about Bayern Munich, whoever waits ahead. But the thing right in front of us is the team from Italy, the team that is Napoli led by Cattuso. And it's interesting that we were talking about Fati earlier because Cattuso wants to play a high line. But the good thing about Napoli when they play that high line is they are susceptible. So if as funny as we talk about Luis Suarez getting in runs behind, which he probably isn't going to do. I really think, we're going back to Fatih or Puj, right? That if it winds up being you have to decide between the two, trying to get balls over the top from Puj onto Messi, or I actually am excited to see the prospect of De Jong, who we have not seen in extended minutes with Puj yet. I'm excited to see the, the idea of De Jong giving balls over the top to Puj where he can then link with Messi. I think Napoli is susceptible to that because, I mean, in the middle, it's going to be a fight. Not the middle of the field, I'm saying, but there's going to be a fight there, but up top as well with Koulibaly, one of the best center backs in the world. He actually has regressed a bit from last year. We we knew that a summer ago he was expected to go to, whether it was Man City most likely, or one other gigantic, gigantic Man United, one other huge club for huge fee. He actually did have a little bit of a issue this season, uh, also picked up a few injuries, but Koulibaly is still the player that Luis Suarez is going to be tussling with. And then his center-back partner is not guaranteed in the same way that we might talk about Roberto or Semedo. They have basically two other center-back options in Maximovic and Manolas, who unfortunately we remember from Roma, enough of that. And then the right-back is either Di Lorenzo or Husai, and Husai can get caught if he starts on that left wing. So what I would like to see from Barca, as they have Rui on their side, who Husai is probably the more talented player, but he also likes to get forward a lot more. So as much as, again, this is the other argument, where Fati is going to have space if he starts that match, and I don't think Griezmann's going to do the same job on that left wing and get at Husai. Because if I'm Barca, I know Messi's over on the right. I would basically create a numerical advantage. I would have Messi standing right and basically in the middle of the field, coming off that right wing and attracting as many players as possible. And you run your offense, do him when you can. But I think that the objective is to get the ball out to the left wing and attack that left wing, that being Napoli's right wing, and really go that in that side. Because even looking for Napoli, the question I want to ask you before I continue this preview is that Napoli has now played three games in the last week. Is it better for Barca to have had this break? Or do you think Napoli's recent fixture congestion is actually good for the Italian side? Oh, okay. Um, to be totally blunt and honest, I think that if Barca are at their best, it doesn't quite matter what Napoli does. Um, I think that obviously it is better that Barca had the break because, you know, the players were crawling um, and being a shadow of themselves in the final two matches. I mean, they seemed to revive against Alaves when, you know, El Pescado estaba vendido, like everything was, was finished and done and dusted. I think that if Barca can have the fresher players from the start, and that would include Ricky and Ansu for me, they can generate spaces by running at defenders, trying to create superiorities, uh, trying to triangulate when you know when any of the backline defenders comes to 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 cover somebody else um i think we can beat them plus we've got messi so if messi is 
on top form and motivated, like there's no reason at all to think that he wouldn't be, then I'm not really bothered as to what Napoli would be able to do and anyone if we go through, to be honest. I think Barca are their own worst enemy, but at the same time, you can flip that and say that Barca can beat anybody in the world if they do things right and they play to their strength. And more importantly, based on the experience from Liverpool and Roma in the couple of years, um, looking back, if they are constantly awake, as in awake, as in not asleep, for the whole match. Well, yeah, and, and not, again, I don't want to continue to overlook the opponent. I agree that Barca are the better team. That's what I said before, and they should be winning this match. But I think Napoli, even for those who are doom and gloom, I just actually want to put the minds of those who are doom and gloom about Barca at ease, that Napoli do have their own issues. Uh, Milik, their center forward at times, can score goals. He scored 14 in all competitions this year which is around the same number as Griezmann, though, so put that into context. But he also can miss, and he's been known to have some major Gonzalo Higuain, another former Napoli striker, size misses in times. And he didn't play Napoli's last fixture against Lazio, with little left to play for, as they were pretty much stuck in seventh place. As you had mentioned, they didn't really contend for the Serie A title this year. So Dries Mertens, the Belgian striker, I think is more likely the starting center forward. But again, Lorenzo Insigne on the left wing is the big threat. Though he was forced off injured against Lazio, so he is questionable as well in this match in terms of fitness as their most attacking option who really relies on his speed. So in the game, tactically in this match, I would keep Semedo at home to deal with Insigne if he is to start. And I don't know that will hurt the attack much. No offense to Semedo, but I would leave him at home and try to attack again down that left wing with Alba, overlapping with whoever is down on that left wing and try to funnel as much through that flank as possible. The big issue I think Barca will have, though, is in the midfield. I think Napoli's midfield, that's the one spot where they're actually better on paper in this match than Barca's, just because Barca are missing Busquets and Vidal. So between Zelinski, Fabian Ruiz, and Lobotko or Demay, one of those two is going to start. Uh, Napoli does have some strength and power in midfield. Ruiz and Zelinski like to balance with long shots. These guys are all quite physical, tall and long, but also have some technical skill. So for me, Frankie de Jong is going to have to have one of his best matches in a Bloodgarner uniform. As much as Messi is the key, he is, and Ter Stegen, I think, is also <laughs> the key at the other side, my third most important player for Barca in this match is going to be Frankie de Jong. They have got to have superiority in that midfield. And if Barca win the midfield ba- battle, then I think this one is a wrap early on because that is where Napoli, I think, does have the advantage, at least on paper. But again, they also have not been great. They've... They're, since the return, Napoli has seven wins, four draws, and three losses, which is a worse record than Barca. And they've lost to teams that went at them. This is, again, this idea that Barca need to go at them. Inter Milan, Atalanta, they went at them, and they are superior teams, and that's who Napoli lost to. So Barca have to be the home team, be the team with the better pedigree. I could wax poetic about Diego Maradona and the city of Naples and a rich history of football, but this club has won only two Serie A titles, the last one in the late 80s. They've won five Copa d'Italia's and one UEFA Cup. Messi has won more titles in the last five years than Napoli has won ever. So be Barcelona. We'll talk about Bayern Munich and what comes later afterwards. Just beat the team in Napoli that you should be beating and then worry about the rest moving on. Frances, I think I've revved myself up and I'm ready to go for this Champions League. Let's do this. Let's do this. Um, I just want to share one more thought. Um, I sort of was hinting at that earlier. I think that the key here is for Setien and Sarabia together to be able to maximize the potential of their players. You know, if, if our Barca players are fully motivated, the fitness is better than it was, I don't think we're going to reach 100%. Definitely not in the game against Napoli, but hopefully moving forward, if we do, which I hope that we do. Um, not confident that we will, but I hope that we do, then the players will do that through self-belief. They need to be looking ahead. Uh, they need to have the pass in terms of Liverpool and Roma at the back of their minds, but obviously not killing themselves about it, but being smart, being clever, being being proactive in what they do and being totally aware and um, you know motivate each other, just push each other. And as I said before, triangulate, attack, go on defenders and just, just go for it. You know, I think... And I don't really like Atletico at all for the way that they play football. But what we want to do is the Barca version of the Atletico. Let me elaborate on that. Atletico one by one better than any other squad in the Champions League? No. But they know exactly what to do. On a one-to-one basis, they're not. But they know exactly what to do. They know exactly where they're going. They know exactly how to get there. And they are confident 
on what they do and they know that that's a plan that will work for them. I think that if Barca had that from management, even with the squad we've got, you know, we don't have Abidal and Puyol and, and Dani Alves and Xavi, Iniesta, etc. But, you know, we're never going to get them back. So we need to make the most of what we had. And for me, if we had a manager that could get the best out of our players, we would have a much, much better shot. But having said all that, we need to be behind our manager. We need to be behind our players because ultimately we don't have a choice right now. So let's let's do this. Yeah, and I, I want a final thought here is that when it came to Roma and Liverpool, three players who were not there that are going to definitely feature against Napoli, Frankie de Young, Ansu Fadi, Ricky Puj. So the future is now. You want three guys that weren't a part of those collapses and really don't care too much about what happened then is those three guys. So as I said, the youthful players are going to be some of the ones that are going to be most important to this result. And we'll worry about everything else later. So Frances, we are still many days away. And unfortunately, things could change about lineups and what we know about everybody for both teams in the coming days. But again, hopefully I'll have those YouTube videos out with any updates on things like that throughout the week. And just like you, Frances and I will be revving up for this Champions League matchup. And as much as COVID-19 and everything does loom over this match, I'm excited just to get back to it into a competition that Barca desire and they want. And if if Messi wants something and Messi cares about something, then Francesca, I guess I should care about it too. 100%, 100%. Let me just, I never do this, but let me just say, if um, you're still listening to this podcast, congratulations. <laughs> I don't know how you can put up with this for so long. Um, can you please... Tell someone you love that you know loves Barca about this show, okay? Um, we have been growing a lot this year. We have been growing a lot every year, to be honest. But this year, the thing seems to have boomed, which is great. But we want to take it to the next step. So if you're listening to this podcast, please tell someone who loves Barca about us. If you think there's any value in anything we say, I don't know what you would think that. Um, we do try our hardest, though. Please let them know about the podcast so we can continue to grow in the same way we've already done this year. Because next season, this podcast is going to explode. And we are definitely going to continue doing this for you. Um, because we love Barca and we love our listeners and our audience. So thank you so much for being there. Tell someone about us, please. Yeah, it's a good point. If we can do this through the Ernesto Valverde era, then uh, we can get through it. And uh, <laughs> the future is bright. But Frances, we'll wrap up today's show. So we want to thank again our listeners for tuning in. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe. And if you want to share it with people, you can start by doing that on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Health ND13 for me on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. That closed Facebook group where you heard I did get a question today, tbpod.link backslash group, deeper dives, discussions, and all that. You can also help us out on Patreon where I'm getting plenty of support. That's where the quick take match review after this match will also be. That'll be related to what's happening on YouTube. That's tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And then, as I said, we are on YouTube. We are continuing to grow there. Things are exciting over on the YouTube channel, the Barcelona Podcast. So check us out there. Hit that subscription button and share this with a friend. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Forza.